Well, friends, you are listening to Table Talk with Mark. Uh, each week we do a Bible Q&A. It's live, it's on air, and it's your questions answered, which kind of means you need to send questions in. <laughs> if I don't get questions, I don't have anything to answer. Let me tell you how you can interact with the show today. You can phone in live to Studio John if you are listening in. <laughs> It'll be great to hear your voice again. You can phone in live to Studio. The telephone number, now this is kind of important because the telephone number has changed to that which I have been using in the past. The telephone number is, and I'm going to give it to you now as soon as my computer plays uh, fair with me. Um, I know it's an 012. Ah, there it is. Thank you, Vusi. 012-883-2090. Let me repeat that. Um, I have put it into the show notes on Facebook, um, so you can see it on Facebook. It is 012-883-2090. 2090. You can send in questions um, by calling in live to studio uh, and uh, and engaging with us like that. Uh, you can also send in WhatsApps or Telegrams to 0826572729. Let me repeat that as well. 0826572729. You can tweet on at 657 AM and of course you can send in your questions in a comment on Facebook. I do get to see that right in front of me. I want to say thank you to those who have already commented on Facebook. If you're listening in now would be a great time just to jot down your name and where you're at um, and a short greeting into a Facebook comment or into a WhatsApp. Natasha Barnes says, Morning Mark. Natasha Barnes from Boxburg uh, with you every week. God bless. Thank you, Natasha, for listening in. And it's always cool to have a long-time listener um, uh, uh, saying hi. Um, Alpha and Amiga Business Development Agency uh, says, well, that's what that's what your name is on, on WhatsApp. Uh, m- maybe sign your name next time so that I can give you a personal greeting. Says, good morning, Pastor, and thank you for the word of God. Amen and bless you with uh, praying hands. Thank you very much for that. Um, Angus Davids says, morning, family. Watching from Cambodia. I'm South African. Well, that's pretty cool, Angus. And you join a number of expats who listen into the show. We have, uh, I have no doubt, Roland Eskenazi listening in from Belgium. Belgium, long-time listener, um, and now uh, Angus listening in from Cambodia. Thanks uh, for greeting us, Angus. Nice to have you with us. Ingrid Fundefenter uh, says, please advise when the podcast, since the 19th of August, the last one, which translation of the Bible is the correct one, will be uploaded. Thank you. Ingrid that is such a good point. I've been rather tardy, haven't I? Um, I I've had a number of um, functions on Friday afternoons, which have made it very difficult to get the podcasts up. And I have, I, I, I've got it on my task list for Fridays. And the way that I've set my task list up is if I don't do something, I literally, it kind of, it just melts away into the past. So I will get the, the podcasts up. I will make every effort to get all the podcasts up this afternoon ingrid thank you for for the for the kind reminder that comes in via whatsapp um penny says morning mark and michael and the rest of the team great day to have uh, a great day to have a great day well you're right penny it is a great day to have a great day in fact on on sunday on sunday we had oh we had a lot of um baptisms we must have had 11 baptisms over three services so um we we have two morning services one in zwavelf put um one at arcadia and then we have an evening service 
we had these 11 baptisms all youngsters under the age of 30 so between uh, the youngest was 19 it was my daughter Caitlin got baptized and um, so from from 19 up to um, maybe 28 29 there's about I was so uplifted on Sunday night having listened to each one of these testimonies professing faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I, I was so excited um, that I, I, I closed the service off by saying something to the effect of, or oh, actually it was a challenge and a response. The response was, um, let us be glad and uh, and rejoice in it. Uh, and the, 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 the challenge which, which I gave at the end of the service was, this is the day that the Lord has made. And the response, and I remember this from liturgy, Back before as a Baptist, I used to attend an Anglican church. My father's an Anglican pastor. Um, and uh, I remember that this was in the liturgy. I could probably even tell you what page it is on the songbook. Um, <laughs> it kind of gets seared and burnt into your head. But it just seems so appropriate for such a wonderful day. and um, filled with celebration and praise. Um, and uh, and Penny, you are right. This is a great day to have a great day. Um, yeah, thank you for that. A couple of WhatsApps coming in. The first is a question. The second is a greeting. Um, Barbara says, Morning, Mark, and thank you for a good program every week. I listen every week to your program, Barbara, with lots of praying hands. Barbara, thank you so much for that. Really do appreciate it. Michael John uh, says, Morning, Pastor Mark. How can one lovingly explain to a believer who continues continually binds the devil in their prayers at a prayer meeting uh, that this is not possible Michael from Cape Town great question Michael we will address your question shortly um, Ishwa Ishwa is a long time listener and always sends in very interesting questions says I have a question concerning the mustard seed found in Matthew 13 31 and 32 as well as Mark verse 30 and Luke verse 13 18 and 19 um, say are saying uh, that our Lord was incorrect considering the mustard seed as being the smallest when in actual fact it's not the smallest nor grows to be the biggest uh, tree what's your take on this my take is that Jesus made no mistake it talks about a garden in a man's field um, I need to be and needs to be taken within context of the time and the people that it was meant for uh, my application for today he is talking about faith actual actually growing faith and then a thank you thank you very much uh, Ishwa that's a great question as well we're going to start off with uh, with Michael's question even as we ask uh, even as we answer questions you are more than welcome um, to write in questions and to tell us where you're from a couple of other people uh, James uh, Sawasawa um, says greetings Mark I'm listening from London England it's Apostle James I'll be in South Africa in November we love this radio station James that's uh, that's so so great we've now got people on multiple com continents listening in this morning uh, lovely to have you with us and Martha says uh, good morning pastor my concern is what is the minister proposing different to all other countries if it is if he is doing it for security reasons from Martha and I think that's in response to the conversation uh, that we had with 4SA before the Bible Q&A started um, Martha I, I think we will keep a very close eye on this um, in weeks and months to come and we'll continue to uh, diligently report back in terms of the conversation between the church and the state uh, through the mechanism of speaking to Michael Swain and Daniela Ellebeck from 4SA. We normally start the show with that conversation, Martha, um, and so the first kind of 
20 minutes of the show we engage with freedom of religion South Africa and the great thing is that they constantly come back to the issues that we have spoken about in previous weeks and so looking forward to a continued conversation on that let's get into the questions and the answers the first question is um, regarding uh, binding the devil, um, binding the devil in prayer meetings. And uh, the question comes in from Michael. Michael's in Cape Town. He's a little bit concerned about binding the devil or binding this strong man. So uh, for a start, let's take a look at um, Mark chapter 3, um, verse 2. 22. I just want to pull that up in my Bible. Mark chapter 3 verse 22 um, uh, so that we can start the conversation in Scripture. Um, we read this idea of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit um, in the book of Mark as we do in other gospel accounts as Jesus Christ addresses it. Um, this is shortly after the narration of where Jesus has called his 12 disciples. That starts off in verse 13 and goes through to verse 20. And and as he uh, goes up into a mountain and calls to him those whom he desired, they came to him and he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. That idea of apostle um, uh, is, is very attached to this idea of being sent out. And they were called to be sent out to preach and have the authority, this is quite important, to cast out demons. And he appointed the twelve and then he names them, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, to whom he gave the name um, Bonagiris, that is the sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Judas always named last when the apostles or disciples are named. In fact, we find that very often in naming lists in scriptures, those who fall away from the faith are named toward the end of the list. Uh, examples that spring to mind of that are Acts chapter 6, um, as the various different um, uh, uh, um, uh, servants of the tables are named. One of them, uh, Nicolaus, um, is is considered or, or, or possibly uh, the same person who's mentioned in the seven letters to the seven churches as being a deserter. Uh, the other example that I can think of is in the letters that Paul writes, he often names his companions. The guy that makes it to the end of the list is a guy called Demas, and it turns out that towards the end of his ministry, Demas left Paul. He went eight out from Paul. But for now, uh, in verse 13, um, and we are considering Michael's question regarding binding that strong man or binding the devil, um, as we started in verse 13, we see the apostles are are named, they are called, uh, they are prepared, and they have the authority to cast out demons. Um, as we continue to listen, uh, we read uh, that they went home, he went home, and the crowds gathered again so that they could even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. And so 
he, his family are, are denying Jesus at this stage. They, 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 they seem to be against him. Uh, we know that Jesus' brothers scoffed at him in the book of John uh, later when he went down to Jerusalem in, in private um, after that account. Um, but he, his family was dead against him um, for much of his ministry, his, his half-brothers at least. Um, it's only later after Jesus died and then rose again that he started to appear to many people and of the people that he appeared to um, included uh, his half-brother um, and then after that many of his siblings came to faith uh, the book of James is written by a brother of Jesus Christ and the book of Jude is written by a half-brother of Jesus Christ <coughs> we find ourselves in verse 21 of Mark chapter 3. Um, to continue, we then read in verse 22 that scribes came down to him from Jerusalem and say, He's possessed by Beelzebub, and by the prince of demons he casts out demons. And he calls to him and says to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his good unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. And then it ends off by saying, Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Very important there, the unforgivable sin is attached um, to what those particular Pharisees were saying of Jesus Christ that he has an unclean spirit it would seem that they were denying the clear evidences um, of Jesus' deity um, by attributing the, the works of the Holy Spirit to Satan that's the unforgivable sin ultimately it's denial denial of who Jesus Christ is attested by the works of the Holy Spirit. Well, we come here to this idea of going into a strong man's house and plundering his goods unless he first binds the strong man. That would be possibly the biblical argument for binding Satan, but uh, I, I must be honest, uh, I, I think it is, um, it is very um, um, tenuous grounds um, making that argument from that text that text is a metaphor it's not a mechanism for prayer it's a it's a metaphor it's the it's the idea that a, a kingdom uh, which is set against itself will crumble uh, and in order to take the kingdom um, uh, the 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 strong man must be bound in in reality um, who binds the strong man well the answer would be Jesus Christ he's the one who is stronger than that strong man he's the one who can truly bind the man and rescue us from his clutches Satan is under Jesus Christ um, uh, the devil um, is subject to 
to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Um, if the strong man is to be bound, it must be bound by the person of Jesus Christ. And indeed, Satan has been bound. Um, Satan is constrained. Um, Jesus, in his death, um, ultimately made proclamation, even against the demonic hosts of hell. Um, he is the ruler and has taken his rightful place at the right hand of the Father. Satan, whilst he has been given a season uh, to continue to um, sow his strife, um, is is ultimately and will ultimately be a bound devil. We see this very clearly at the end of the story. As we go to the end of the book of Revelations, as we hit the closing chapters, um, we see a period of world history where Satan himself will be bound um, and will be cast eventually even into an eternal lake of fire. Jesus is the champion. He is the conquering king. If Satan's to be bound, it won't be because we pray that Satan will be bound. It will be because Jesus Christ our Lord and our Savior binds Satan. Now, I do understand that there are many, and um, particularly from charismatic and Pentecostal movements, who apply Jesus' parable um, of spiritual warfare um, in this way and teach that Christians are the one that must bind the strong man. However, I think that that is a um, that's a reading of the text which gives too much credit to man and takes credit away from our true our true champion the the captain of the hosts of heaven it's a great question michael and i really do appreciate uh, you asking it a couple of other people have come in <clears throat> to the conversation over the last while uh, scott bobby um asks a question from 2 peter chapter 2 verse 1 to 3 um nikki loft says hi mark um well it's great to have each and every one of you with us i'm going to go back um Peter, before I go to your question, to Ishwa's question, Ishwa's question was related to faith like a mustard seed. Um, and the discussion really goes um, to, uh, really goes around, was the mustard seed really the smallest seed in the world? And uh, does that uh, maybe undermine the inerrancy of scripture that Jesus Christ um, referred to it as such um, Ishwa you listed a whole lot of texts thank you so much for that um, let's just read a couple of them so in Matthew chapter 17 verse 14 to 20 um, we read the following I'm reading from the ESV um, and when they had come to the crowd a man came up behind him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son for he has seizures, uh, seizures and suffers terribly for he often falls into the fire and often into the water and I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon because Jesus has power over the demonic and it came out of him and the boy was healed instantly. Praise the Lord. 
Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. In Matthew chapter uh, 10 verse 1, we have this idea of Jesus and um, giving them the authority to do exactly what they couldn't do in Matthew chapter 17. Um, in Luke chapter 17, we have another account of the same, um, and it is related. I'm just pulling it up, Luke chapter 17, and um, we're looking at the first part. Um, he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come in verse 1, but woe to them through whom they come. It would be better for him that a millstone will be hung around his neck and he would cast into the sea that he should cause one of these little ones to sin and pay attention to yourselves if your brother sins rebuke him if he repents forgive him if he sins against you seven times in the day uh, and turns to you seven times uh, saying I repent you must forgive him the the apostles then said to the Lord increase our faith and the Lord said if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Now, Ishra's question is very specifically um, talking about Matthew chapter 13 and verse 31. In Matthew chapter 13, we have a similar kind of illustration. It's this idea of this mustard seed. And uh, if we go through to verse um, 21, uh, I'm just looking here, mustard seed and 11. In verse 31, he put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds. But when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make their nests in it and uh, and, and nest in its branches. Uh, and then he told them another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. And the question really comes not so much in the use of the analogy um, but in the particular phrase um, that the seed is the smallest of all seeds um, and the question is yeah, well is that really true um, and um, um, and 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 if not what does that mean um, does that does that undermine uh, the inerrancy of scripture is scripture wrong here was Jesus wrong here um, Ishwa, I would I would answer it in this way. Um, when we talk in language, uh, we use phrases and idioms and uh, colloquialisms. Uh, when we talk to one another, we we sometimes say things that everyone around us understands. Uh, they understand the meaning, and yet the meaning might be a little bit archaic or a little bit confusing um, to those who may, might not be in on the particular phrase or phraseology that we use. 
when Jesus calls the mustard seed the smallest seed um, and the mustard plant the largest of plants in the garden, he's not, he's, he doesn't mean that it's the smallest seed in the entire world. Um, he, he's using hyperbola. He, he's speaking more about the, the, the massive growth from this small little mustard seed, which is like a little speck in your hand, um, to the large plant that it becomes. It's an exaggeration to make a point. He's not speaking botanically. He's not ripping out a grade nine um, biology textbook and giving you a an exact measurement of the mustard seed. He's speaking proverbially um, in this in in this instance. His emphasis is on the change of size from small to large, not on the exactness of the size. That, that's the emphasis. That's that's how we understand the picture that he is using to illustrate the kingdom of heaven um, this idea of of growth and this idea um, in in terms of it setting it up for this conversation uh, of the birds uh, of the air that come and make nests in its branches and it's all part of a, a broader discussion a broader set of metaphors uh, word pictures um, in Matthew chapter 13 which are which are describing the kingdom of heaven in great detail he goes over and over in fact this idea of um, kingdom and heaven uh, I just did a search uh, on on my on my Bible it's repeated 12 times uh, in this one verse so the emphasis is on the kingdom of heaven in this chapter there is a series of parables to illustrate the kingdom of heaven this idea of the mustard seed and the mustard plant is one of those parables and the emphasis is not on botany the emphasis is on growth and on size it's a great question Ishwa thank you so much I really do enjoy your engagements and interactions each week thank you very much long time listener Ishwa with a question Scott Bobby uh, asks a question via Facebook. Wow, guys, you know what? It's kind of been half and half <laughs> this morning uh, between Facebook and WhatsApp in terms of the questions that have been asked. I've been really impressed by how uh, engaged both uh, the WhatsApp and the Facebook audiences are. I'm going to give you, uh, I'm going to read this question and make a stab at uh, answering it before we get to the top of the hour and go to a song break. Um, but I will be giving you. Um, all of our contact details again so that you can ask questions yourself shortly. Scott um, quotes 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 1 to 3. Um, 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 1 to 3. Let me read that to you. It says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. The question that Scott asks is, who are these greedy teachers? 
should we be concerned about millionaire pastors, that they may be these false teachers making up clever lies to get hold of our money? And shouldn't all churches who are good stewards of God's money have open books to show the church how the money is being spent to prevent greed? Well, Scott, that is an incredibly astute observation. Um, it is a good application that you have made, um, both in terms of recognizing the false teachers amongst us, um, but also, Scott, in terms of saying, well, surely transparency is one of the ways that can be used in order to uh, solve uh, this crisis of these false teachers. Um, I, I, I want to read you to you, Scott, the parallel text. It turns out that um, that Peter um, it was either written by before Jude or Jude before Peter, it depends on which scholar you read. They give the answer to that uh, to that question. Um, but but it seems that Peter and Jude have a parallel concept in mind that false teachers are going to rise up among you. In fact, Jude writes his entire book about false teachers. He starts off in verse three saying, I was very eager to write to you about salvation, but I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Why are we to contend for the faith? And why does Jude, who is the half-brother of Jesus Christ, that's a question that came up earlier, why does Jude find it necessary to write about us contending for the faith rather than writing about a common salvation, obviously a glorious topic that I'm sure he would have loved to have written on. Well, he gives us the answer in verse 4. Certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Already, you would see a parallel between Jude and Peter. They're both dealing with false teachers. They're both dealing with false apostles. They're both dealing with false pastors. They're both dealing with wolves in sheep's clothing. They're both dealing with heresy. Um, Peter actually used that word heresy and he attached it to the undermining of Jesus Christ. We see that here as well. We see this idea in the book of Jude that false teachers undermine, they pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. In other words, they promote loose living. But not only that, they deny Jesus Christ as master. I'm fairly certain. I don't have my Greek open in front of me. I just got a cup of coffee delivered by my program manager, which is kind of awesome. I'm drinking the good stuff <laughs> this morning. Um, but they deny um, the masterhood of Jesus Christ. That word master, I'm going to assume, I'm, I'm looking up in the Greek as we speak, I'm going to assume that that is despotes. It's the idea, uh, it's the English word despot. Um, it's the idea that Jesus Christ is in charge. He is in control. He is over all things and everything. Um, but not only that, he, he is Lord. He is Curion. Uh, that that idea of Lord, um, it, it, it relates um, to the Lordship of God, of Yahweh, over all things in the Old Testament. It's a corresponding title of Jesus Christ to God, to Elohim. Um, as we read Jude, we see that Jude himself wants to write about these false teachers. He's concerned about these false teachers. He's warning about these false teachers, um, and he's warning about 
um, about following them. He's warning about turning to them. He's warning about um, living the kinds of lives which they promote. Um, turns out there's a textual idiosyncrasy. Um, it is despos. It is despotes um, in uh, chapter one of Jude, verse four. But Jude doesn't stop there. He he describes in the same kind of language that Peter uses what these guys look like how these guys act and he does that in verse 8 and following he says in like manner these people also relying on their dreams defile the flesh reject authority and blaspheme the glorious ones he goes on to say in verse 11 woe to them for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error Balaam's error by the way um, uh, the, the way of Cain um, Cain killing Abel um, uh, just a base um, a base uh, a, a, a aggression towards his brother but then he shook his fist to God and, and showed absolute disdain for God Balaam's error was an error that was directly um, uh, directly re- related to false proper prophesying for financial gain. Um, Balaam made money of a king that wanted to do away with God's people, Israel. And so definitely attached um, to these false teachers is the idea of finances and misappropriation of wealth and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feast. In other words, they are amongst you as they feast with you without fear. They are shepherds. Uh, these are these are wolves in sheep's clothing, shepherds feeding themselves on you. <laughs> Waterless clouds swept along by winds. In other words, they, they say a lot, but they don't actually rain a lot. Um, they are fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. They're not just dead, they're doubly dead. In fact, they're so dead that if you listen to them, they will make you dead. They are wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame. They are wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Well, the bottom line is Jude then goes on and describes how you are to avoid these people and how you are to contend against these people. And it's related to scripture. I guess um, to now come to Scott's particular question um, should we be concerned about millionaire pastors yes Scott we should and um, particularly those who preach a false gospel of prosperity that it is God's will for you to be healthy wealthy and happy um, in all things and the way that you achieve that is by sowing a seed today and um, this is a false teaching it is from the devil it is unhelpful it is um, it is heretical great book written on this subject by a number of friends including John Piper, Conrad Mbewe and Ken Mbugwa um, Ken is from Kenya, Conrad Mbewe is from Zambia, John Piper is from the United States but they wrote a book called I'm going to go with Prosperity, I'm fairly certain that's the title, Prosperity, it's a short book but it's an excellent book looking at the heresy of the prosperity gospel and why it is contrary to orthodox Christianity um, we should be very um, worried about them uh, they certainly are false teachers and they do have clever lies in truth people who follow them follow them because they have itching ears and they like to collect to themselves people that tell them exactly what they want to hear but for those of us who are in churches that are Bible teaching, Bible believing and want to avoid these kinds 
of falsehoods. My encouragement to you is that one of the ways that we can combat the kinds of financial excesses that we see around us is by being transparent and having open books, particularly to the members of our local churches. Um, I did read very interestingly, and uh, I, I can't confirm this. This is something that maybe I'll take up with 4SA, um, but there's legislation on the cards right now, um, particularly aimed at NGOs and NPOs that's uh, um, um, an NGO is a, hmm, a public, not a public benefit organization, a non-profit organization. Oh, I'm just struggling for the word there. That there's legislation on the cards that will compel them to have um, not just audited financial statements, which is already required, but beyond audited financial statements and public audited financial statements that anybody would be able to uh, look in on and that's something that's been discussed at the moment I'm not too sure if it's in green paper or white paper um, but a friend who is in the know um, spoke to me on Tuesday and said that uh, this was a legislation which is at least being considered a couple of concerns uh, in terms of um, uh, the 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 religious freedom implications of that, but I do think that there ought to be transparency, particularly to the members of local churches. Local churches need to know what's going on uh, in the books and have an idea of of how monies are being spent within the context of local churches. I'm going to read one last comment from Penny on Facebook. Um, Penny says, with reference to the mustard seed question, using language people understand. I read once about a missionary to some tropical island who had to tell people that they would be washed whiter than coconut milk, as the indigenous people would have had absolutely no idea what snow is. I mean, that makes absolute sense. And so uh, an idiomatic phrase um, and the use of hyperbole in order to make one's point. Penny is referring to the conversation that we had on faith smaller than a mustard seed and the mustard seed being the smallest of all seeds friends we've gone just past the hour we are going to listen to a song now and uh, give me the opportunity to drink my good cup of coffee and we're going to listen to fearless by lily uh, Meyer. and when we come back after the break um oh sorry joy to the lord by rend collective when we come back we will continue with questions and answers from god's word It is good to be back with you this morning on Radio Pulpit and Radio Cape Pulpit. You are listening to Table Talk with Mark. And however you are listening, whether on 657 AM or 729 AM, or you are currently maybe live streaming and watching the video on Facebook, whether you are on DSTV channel 882, OpenView channel 607, or on our website www.radiopulpit.co.za, however you are listening in, it is good to be with you got a question that's come in from Gerard thank you so much Gerard we're going to deal with that straight after I tell people how they can engage with us in the second hour of the show so you can phone into the studio if you're listening in and you would like to ask a question I love to hear your voice I love to be able to ask clarifications um, from you and so you can call into our studio Line and our studio number this morning is 012 883 
2090. Vusi is standing by to take your call. Um, I am looking forward to speaking to you. You can, of course, send in WhatsApp voice notes. You can send in WhatsApp questions. The WhatsApp uh, number is 082-657-2729. You can tweet. No, you can tweet on at 657am and uh, you can drop a comment on Facebook. We're currently live streaming to Radio Pulpit Radio Council's Facebook page. We are live streaming to Central Baptist Church Pretoria and we are live streaming to Pastor Mark. I just said Central Baptist Church Pretoria. I, I, I forgot. I want to I want to invite you to something, folk. Um, tomorrow. Um, tomorrow is Saturday. Tomorrow at half past four. That's half past four in the afternoon, not in the morning. If you come in the morning, there's going to be no one there. But if you come in the afternoon at half past four to our Arcadia campus, the Arcadia campus is on Francis Bart Street. It is the huge um, Baptist building um, on Francis Bart Street, uh, very close to the American Embassy. Um, we are going to be having a sing event. It's going to be an opportunity to sing together with Christians from all over the city. We are going to be singing great hymns of the faith. The organ has been warmed up and so we're going to be singing a couple of of songs accompanied by a great organ. Um, We have got a fairly large church choir. They have been practicing for the last couple of weeks. They're going to be leading us um, in some new hymnology. We're going to be singing um, some wonderful uh, new hymns out of the stable of City Alight, out of the stable of um, Sovereign Grace. You are invited to join us um, this coming Saturday, that is tomorrow at half past four um, at Arcadia. If you want details on the event, if you had to type in Central Baptist Church Pretoria Sing, um, probably the first Google link that comes up will be related to us. Gerard, I do see that you have dropped a voice note. I'm going to ask Vusi if he can play that for us. Maybe just to start off by um, just reading your question. It says, why is both Jesus and Satan referred to as the morning star? Why is both Jesus and Satan referred to as the morning star? Vusi, are you able to play that voice note or can I just hit the play button? Okay, I can't just hit the play button. I think that's something that Vusi needs to control from his side. I, I have no doubt he'll tell me. What yes, I've heard it. Uh, yes, I've heard it uh, being explained that uh, it's actually a, a wrong translation that Satan uh, should <coughs> rather be the son of dawn and not the morning star. Well, that does put a spin on the answer I was about to give you, Gerard. <laughs> I hear that you are um, that you are in your car. Uh, great to have people listening in, whether you're sitting at your computer or driving at the moment or um, hanging up washing. I know often often uh, folk come back and say, I'm busy hanging up washing, listening to the radio. Um, uh, never mind what you're doing. It's great to have you with us. Gerard, here's my first answer. Um, to you uh, the morning star is a metaphor it's a metaphor it's a it's a picture right 
Um, we all know what the morning star is when you when you kind of walk out um, early in an evening, even before the sun has set. Sometimes, as it turns into that rich blue, just before the sky turns black, you'll see one star in the sky. It's the first star to appear. Um, it, it, it's a, a, a oh, that would be the evening star, wouldn't it? Um, the the morning star again is a star in the sky. A bright star, um, a star which is which is clear, which stands out uh, before all other stars. It's a it's a star that you that 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 everybody can see. And what Scripture is doing in multiple places is appealing to the picture of the bright morning star and attributing some of the characteristics of it um, to people. So when you think of that star, you think of its brilliance, you think of its radiance, you think of its beauty, you think of its clarity, um, you think how it stands out from all the other stars um, in terms of the evening star, in terms of the evening sky, in terms of the morning star, in terms of its brightness. Um, it is an amazing picture to the human eye. Now in Isaiah Isaiah chapter 14 verse 12 we read this how you have fallen from heaven and it's talking I mean Isaiah 14 um, is addressed to a human audience but through the human audience uh, in fact maybe we should just turn to Isaiah chapter 14 so that we can get some context Um, Isaiah 14 we are getting there right now and in Isaiah chapter 14 we are looking particularly at verse 12 um, verse 12 um, at the beginning of uh, verse 3 um, we, we, we hear Isaiah or in actual fact the Lord taking up a taunt against the king of Babylon the king of Babylon who's a who's a physical king he's a, he's a real king right um, it says in verse 3 when the Lord has given you rest from your pain and turmoil and the hard service with which you were made to serve you will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon he's calling um, for, for the nation to, 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 to taunt the king um, and the, the taunt begins for the first 11 verses and it seems very clear that it has the human king of Babylon in mind but in verse 12 it's almost like it shifts a gear and it starts to look at what's standing behind the king of Babylon and what's standing behind the king of Babylon is Satan Um, Satan in all his demonic malice and standing as the as the ultimate evil even behind evil kings like the king of Babylon and we read in verse 12 how you have fallen from heaven O day star son of dawn how you are cut down to the ground you who laid the nations low um, in a literal translation um, and maybe Herat you can take this away as um, as 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 information always useful if you are a student um, of the word if you are um, and uh, if you're trying to study the word and get to the meaning of of original intent go and take a look at what the New American Standard Bible says the New American Standard Bible the New American Standard Bible is a very literal translation it trying as far as possible uh, to get to original um, words and word order of the text so it's very useful if you maybe don't have original language ability to read a 
text in whatever translation you use I've been reading from the ESV previously I'd read from the Christian Standard Bible but to have a New American Standard Bible available to you so that you can see what a more literal translation would read it says in verse 12 in the New American Standard Bible how you have fallen from heaven you star of the morning sun of the dawn and there is a footnote uh, that that this idea of star of the morning is you shining one um, uh, in in terms of translation that would be a valid translation it goes on on to say uh, of Satan you said in your heart I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God I will set up my throne on high I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north I will ascend above the heights of the clouds I will make myself like the most high but you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. And then it continues to address um, Satan. Maybe just a note, um, it's not your question, but uh, you will see how many times personal pronouns are used in verse 13 and 14. I will, I will, I will, I will. I will ascend to heaven. I will set my throne. I will sit on the mount. I will ascend above the heights. And then ultimately, I will make myself like the Most High God. Satan really in uh, absolute rebellion against God shakes his fist at him and desires to make himself like the Most High God you, you think Satan's bad well he really just tempted Adam and Eve in much the same way in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3 uh, eat this fruit and it will make you like God <laughs> turns out that the sin that Satan fell into is the same sin that man fell into this idea of rebellion this idea of desiring to be like God or setting oneself up in a similar place to God and God our God is a jealous God that will be Sunday sermon um, at Central Baptist Church in the morning um, that God is a jealous God looking at the second commandment um, that he will not allow uh, any worship other than the worship to him um, the worship which is owed to him now to your point in question is it talks about this day star or this morning star or this shining one in verse 12 and it ascribes it um, to the person of Satan well if you go across to Luke chapter 10 verse 18 we see a similar device in Luke chapter 10 verse 18 you can turn there in your own Bibles as you follow along and uh, again I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven it's this this idea of falling it's this idea of light it's this connection of Satan to falling from heaven and it being attached to this idea of light and shining but interestingly enough and this is where Herod's question puts into play if you cross over to the book of Revelation you read in Revelation chapter 22 verse 16 the following um, and I am trying to get there but I typed the address into the wrong um, into the wrong bar um, Revelation 22 verse 16 I Jesus very clearly I Jesus have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches I'm the root and descendant of David the bright morning star now what you have here is this picture of Jesus 
now being referred to as a bright morning star you have this picture of satan in isaiah and satan in luke referred to as the shining one or this this the star that fell from heaven like lightning this bright morning star why the same picture of satan and jesus it's not because they're the same it's because this picture of bright morning star talks of attributes um, which look the same the, the metaphor is used as a simile of each one of them they're, they're not synonymous with one another Satan it turns out was created well not as it turns out we know that Satan was created perfect because when God created the heavens and the earth on day one day two day I think four five and six he declared that it is good in fact on day six God looked at all of his creation and declared that it was very good and the angels were created by that stage um, uh, that as God looked at everything that he created nothing was out of order everything had been created in mark this it's a theological thought untested perfection it wasn't long after that though that Satan fell and you can read about that fall in Isaiah so you see these personal pronouns ascribed to Satan in Isaiah as he desires to be like God and above God and seated on the same throne as God you can read about it in other places this idea of this 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 cherub who walked around Eden um, amongst the flaming stones in beauty with musical instruments built into his body uh, this bright morning star uh, this unbelievable angel that fell and became a Lucifer a Satan the devil Beelzebub now when we think of Satan we we think of of him the way that maybe Hollywood portrays him you know two horns and a forked tail with a little fork and flames all around him but that's not how God created Satan God created Satan in in splendor and in beauty as he created all of his creation but in a particular way when it came to the archangels so whether we think of the archangel Michael or we think of the archangel Lucifer or we think of the seraph that are surrounding God in Isaiah chapter 6 we, we think of of created beings that are created in splendor and in majesty uh, they are beautiful and um, for indeed they serve God even in the most holy of holies and Satan certainly wasn't a second-rate creation he wasn't created all ugly and horrible no he was created in with great beauty in fact some of that I have no doubt and um, played a part in the pride which rose in his heart maybe the maybe the first of all sins um, the sin of pride which re which led then to his rebellion but the bottom line is this idea of bright morning star well describes as a metaphor Satan but if it well describes as a metaphor Satan it's so much better describes as a metaphor our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ because he is most beautiful you know we read in the book of Isaiah that his beauty wasn't something to behold that he was he he came into this world as a man who is ordinary we read about that in Philippians chapter 2 as well did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but emptied himself took on the form of a man that Jesus Christ tabernacled amongst us that most people that looked upon Jesus didn't see him as the high king of heaven but friends Jesus is the darling of heaven at his birth angels rightly declared Gloria 
in excelsis Deo. Um, I think that's Latin, probably not original Greek. Um, but, but this idea of, of the angels bursting out at praise at the birth of Jesus Christ because he is not just the babe of Bethlehem, but the king of kings and the lord of lords. Um, uh, at his entrance into heaven, all of heaven must have exploded as uh, as Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, returned uh, to his inheritance, to his birthplace. I, I'm reminded of those pictures in Revelation. Um, in fact, uh, uh, particularly, I mean, I'm actually getting emotional as I even think about it. In Revelation chapter 5, uh, an unbelievably beautiful picture of Jesus Christ. Um, chapter 5 verse 1 reads, I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look on it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. One of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals and between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth and he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne and when he had taken the scroll the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of the saints and they sang a new song saying worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation for you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God and they shall reign on earth worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever amen well when you read that you can't help but being elated it is a a description of the lion of the tribe of judah who is the lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world and friends he is most splendorous he is most glorious he is majestic in his awesomeness he is worthy of our praise and of our adoration it is to him that we will eternally raise up a hallelujah forever and ever singing his praises because he is beautiful he is worthy of the title of the bright morning star he is amazing that's my jesus that's our king and so when we think, I mean, to cut the long story short, Gerard, when we think of this idea of bright morning star, we think of it as a metaphor. It is applied to 
Satan because indeed he was created of a higher order and his beauty must have been splendorous to gaze upon but it is applied to Jesus Christ in a way which is elevated far beyond that which could ever be ascribed to Satan because Jesus Christ is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Uh, Sue van der Berg says Mark is Satan reflecting the false light like false doctrine no Sue I think that uh, the use of the metaphor there is an accurate reflection of the beauty of Satan uh, in terms of his created awesomeness he's described elsewhere as a um, an angel of light in actual fact he comes to us not as a kind of Grinch-like character, you know, burning and um, uh, the horns on its head and the forked tail. He doesn't come to us like that. He comes to us as an angel of light, full of majesty and splendor, uh, is his facade. I think it's an accurate metaphor to describe him uh, in what is created beauty and brilliance. But he is incomparable to Jesus Christ, who is above all. All. In fact, I mean, just to make the point of Jesus being above all and Jesus being above the demonic host, I've been reading through over the last many, many weeks the book of Colossians. In fact, uh, I think this week, Wednesday, I'm going to bring my study of Colossians to the, e- to the end. I think since the beginning of the year, I've been looking at Colossians. But, but in verse 15 of chapter 1, it talks about the preeminence of Christ, the, the, the amazingness of Christ, the bigness of Jesus. And it says that he is the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible. This is the point that I think Paul is trying to make. And invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, Satan, all things were created through him and ultimately for him. And he is before all things. If Satan can be described as the morning star, he is the greater morning star. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. He sustains all things. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, he might be first, he is above all. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace by the blood of his cross. What an awesome Savior we have in Jesus Christ our Lord. She says, um, Sandra says, morning, um, and uh, um, that Sandra, well, thank you, getting better every single, I hope I read that right, I'm, I'm translating, <laughs> I'm translating on the fly, getting better and better, um, Joey says, good morning, uh, will you please to explain to us the Jewish feast of Rosh Hashanah, or, or the new year, in relation to the end times, thank you, Joey. Joey, great question. I have written it down. I'm not going to answer the question on the fly. 
I'm going to go and do a little bit of research um, in order to understand your question in a little bit more detail. Um, God willing, I will get back to you on that one next week. And then uh, Tinker, also a long-time reader, says, Thank you for reading Ephesians. Uh, morning, Mark. I'm so aware of the glory and splendor of the Lamb standing in heaven and then taking the scroll from God sitting on the throne. I can almost hear the singing of the angels. Revelation 5 is one of my most favorite scriptures. I always read it together with chapter 4. You know, Tinker, a couple of years ago, I had the great privilege of preaching through a Revelation. I actually didn't preach through Revelation. I got to the end of chapter 7 and then hit the pause button, waiting for a time um, that is more appropriate to preach the rest. Um, but those that portion of Scripture from chapter 4 uh, and onward is just so glorious, so beautiful. Um, as you as you get a, a kind of a, a glimpse as the, the, the curtain of heaven is just pulled back ever so slightly and you get to gaze on the awesomeness of Jesus Christ and, and, and worship in heaven. Friends, we've got 25 minutes to go. I do want to encourage you to send in questions and answers. We get to answer them live on air. I really do enjoy um, that part of our program. I want to remind you that the studio line is 012-883-2090. Let me repeat that, 012-883-2090, and you're welcome to call in uh, live on air and ask your question. You can put questions into Facebook uh, in the comment section. You can also send in a WhatsApp or Telegram to 0826572720. Let me repeat that, 0826572729, and you can tweet on at 657. I will get to see all of those various different devices here in studio. I want to take us to Colossians chapter 4, Colossians chapter 4 just for a moment, because I think it's kind of like where the rubber hits the road uh, in the book of Colossians. Colossians as a book is about the preeminence of Christ. It's about big Jesus. Chapter 1 really um, presents Jesus as as over all. Chapter 2 of the book of Colossians then says, don't fall for anything less than big Jesus. Don't fall for the traditions and the philosophies of man. Uh, You need to set your gaze on Jesus Christ because he is worthy. From chapter 3 of the book of Colossians, um, Paul begins to apply. If Jesus is big, how do you make him big or what ramifications does that have in your life what does what does Jesus being Lord look like in the life of a person who's been captured by him last couple of um, uh, commands uh, in chapter 4 are from verse 2 through to verse 6 let me read the commands to you and I want to give you three points for missional living today in your life it says in verse 2 continue Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Second point is in verse 5, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time, third point is in verse 6 let your speech always be gracious seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person three points from 
chapter 4 of the book of Colossians, verse 2 to verse 6. And there are four points that relate to missional living, relate to living out our Christian life in this world. The first one is we need to be prayers, missional prayers. Paul says, pray for us. Pray for us. Why should you be praying for us? That God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. Paul wants you to pray for him in particular, but in principle, pray for those who have been sent out who are missionaries. We do this each and every week, who are missionaries in this world, who have been sent out with the gospel message. Pray that they might declare boldly the mystery of Christ. Mystery of Christ doesn't mean like mystery unsolvable. It means mystery previously hidden, but now having been made clear of Jesus Christ. And he says, on account of whom I in prison, that I may make it clear, that I may speak not just boldly, but with clarity, um, which is how I ought to speak. Pray that missionaries would have open doors. Pray for your pastor as he prepares to preach this Sunday. Pray for your uh, the elders of your church that your pulpit might be well protected. Pray for friends that you know who will be preaching even this week. Um, be praying for those who handle the gospel message. This is one mechanism of missional living in this life. Second mechanism key to missional living is in verse 5. Walk in wisdom with outsiders. And by the way, there was an imperative, a command in verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. This is something that you must do. It is something that must be a habitual action in your life. Second key to missional living, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Whenever you see the word walk in the New Testament, generally it's a translation of the Greek word peripateo, and it really means live. Live in wisdom toward outsiders. Again, this is missional. Live your life towards those who are outside the faith and make best use redeem the time there was a time before you were in Christ where you didn't redeem the time you lived according to your own joys and your own enjoyment well now that you're in Christ redeem the time by walking in wisdom toward outsiders if you lack wisdom ask for it God is good he gives it as a gift if you lack wisdom spend time in his word appropriating his word his word is wisdom to those who are humble to receive it to those who are foolish in the ways of the world be be mighty in the things of God one way that you can appropriate wisdom um, from God's word um, is by paying attention to the Proverbs there's 31 Proverbs maybe read a chapter a day um, there is so much good wisdom um, in the Proverbs but read God's word that you might understand God's will and act it out in your life so the first way of missional living is by praying steadfastly the second way or key of missional living is by living in wisdom towards outsiders the third key to missional living is let your speech always be gracious seasoned with salt it's another it's another like wonderful <coughs> excuse me wonderful metaphor uh, salt in this case speaking of its seasonness it's 
taste and be tasty towards others in the way that you use your speech and be gracious towards others don't be overbearing as you try and present Jesus Christ don't be the guy that's bashing them on the head with a Bible but do be wise because they need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and so be gracious towards them season your speech with salt look out for opportunities to present the gospel and be prepared it says so that you may know how you ought to answer each person it's very interesting the the verbs yeah in verse 6 are in the perfect tense it means something which was completed in the past which has a continual action even into the present um, let your speech always be gracious is a perfect tense verb and then that you may know it's a perfect tense verb in other words if you are going to have the right answers to the kinds of questions that people ask your preparation for those answers needs to start in the past you need to prepare yourself to answer the kinds of questions that your children might have that your parents might have that your siblings might have that your friends might have if you want to be missional in this life pray live and speak to God's praise and to his glory I do want to say thank you to Anne-Marie I see that uh, comment that you have made um uh, and then Teresa, I hope you're well, Teresa, long time listener, always good to hear from you, bud. Please compare Acts 2 verse 4 and Acts 4 verse 31. Acts 4 is not the same as Acts 2, right, with a question mark. Please confirm or explain the differences you see. Now, I'm familiar with both of those texts. In fact, I really enjoy um, both those texts. So Acts 2 verse 4, let's go there first. It says... Uh, Oh, hang on, wait a minute. Let's uh, let's open it up um, to the. Ah, uh, push the wrong button to the chapter. There you go. Read full chapter. Um, Acts two verse four. Well, uh, let's read from verse one. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them I, it must have been just incredible maybe just some uh, input uh, the day of Pentecost Penta um, uh, 50 uh, 50 days after the Passover you'll remember that Jesus Christ appeared to witnesses for 40 days and then he ascended into heaven we read of his ascension in Luke chapter 24 and then when we go to Acts chapter 1 we have a second account because Luke is the same author of Acts as he was in the gospel of Luke um, we have a second account of the ascension of Jesus Christ into heaven as he as he gives that great commission uh, you'll be my witnesses my martyrs in Jerusalem Judea Samaria and to all the ends of the earth in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 now the day of Pentecost has arrived 10 days have transpired um, the believers have been in an upper room praying up to 120 of them we read about that in Acts chapter 1 uh, 120 of them uh, they gathered together the disciples it's the last um, reference to Mary they get a little bit of finished business uh, out of the way Judas has obviously uh, committed suicide he's no longer with them uh, and so they elect or they select um, uh, actually they don't elect or select they do it by lot it's the last use of the, of the lot in terms of decision making um, a, a, a 12th apostle 
Um, but now Pentecost has arrived. Uh, Pentecost being a feast, uh, the feast of weeks, um, uh, a celebration uh, often associated with the giving of the law, interestingly enough, um, causing us to remember the great events that happened on Mount Sinai in Exodus chapters 19 and 20 um, as the uh, God descended and the law of Moses was given. Now, now with all of that context in mind, as we as we think of uh, Pentecost, with all of that backstory in mind, we read that they were all together in one place. And suddenly, this was a this was an instantaneous miracle. There was no build up. There was no slow build up. As uh, I don't know. Um, kind of like a weather system came in. No, suddenly a mighty rushing wind filled the entire house where they were sitting. Um, in fact, the, the mighty rushing wind was accompanied by a great sound that drew people from the whole of Jerusalem um, in to listen uh, to the great and mighty acts that the apostles then declared and Peter later on preaches. Uh, in verse 3, we read that divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages or in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance an incredibly um, uh, incredibly amazing spiritual gift was poured out to them as they were filled with the Holy Spirit they spoke in languages known to men how do we know that there were languages known to men well as you read from verse 5 to verse 12 it is clear that these were languages that were understood by people from all over the Roman world they understood these Galileans were preaching of the glory of God in languages that they could not possibly have known it was an astounding miracle on the day Teresa's question then says, well, can you now head over to chapter 4? In chapter 4, verse 31, uh, we read the following. And I'm going to... I'm going to pick it up from, let's go with, from verse 23. Um, and maybe just to give you the backstory, the uh, apostles have been arrested for the first time. Um, they've been told, ordered not to spread um, any more conversation about Jesus um, amongst the people. Uh, they've been warned to speak no more to anyone in this name. It's the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, Of course, the name of someone carrying his authority. Um, uh, And and so in verse 23, we read, when they were released, um, they've been released now by the authorities, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And maybe just a note in terms of prayer. When we pray, start off with prayers of adoration, prayers of recognizing the, the, the awesomeness of God, the perfections of God, the attributes of God and the mighty works of God. That's a great place to start when you are praying to Almighty God. Verse 25, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves uh, set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed or against the Christ. Um, I didn't write it down, but I'm I'm fairly certain that this is a quote from 
from Psalm chapter 2. I'll go and check that a little bit later. In verse 27, it says, For truly in the city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Verse 31, that's the the passage that Teresa is pointing us to. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, Teresa's question is such. Please confirm or explain the differences that you see. And the question is, please compare those two verses, verse 2 and verse uh, uh, 2 verse 4 and verse 431 and uh, just uh, just confirm that it, that they're not exactly the same well Teresa thanks for the question let me say that in some ways they are the same and in other ways they are different <coughs> what's the same what's the same about these two verses well the filling of the Holy Spirit seems to be the same in these two verses in verse 2 verse 4 it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and in chapter 4, verse 31, it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And so there we have a similarity. And um, this idea of filling with the Holy Spirit. What is filling with the Holy Spirit? Filling with the Holy Spirit is something which each and every single one of us as believers ought to continually um, um, uh, uh, what's the right word um, uh, do be involved in ask for um, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit it's the uh, the Holy Spirit is always with us right the Holy Spirit is given as a, a seal unto the day of redemption the Holy Spirit is given to us as a guarantee um, the Holy Spirit is um, a gift which is given to believers he occupies us the filling of the Holy Spirit uh, is when we are uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit when when we push out the carnality of our lives when we are when we are um, increasingly sanctified the Holy Spirit takes more and more control um, over us the the filling of the Holy Spirit is very closely in tied to the empowerment of the Holy Spirit is very closely tied um, to walking in the Spirit they were filled by the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost and they were filled by the Holy Spirit on Acts, in Acts chapter 4 and on both occasions they were filled and what 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 came out of the filling was a boldness a boldness to declare Jesus Christ so there's another similarity the filling of the Holy Spirit uh, in Acts chapter 2 and the filling of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 4 and the boldness of the saints based on that filling in Acts chapter 2 and the boldness of the saints based on that filling in Acts chapter 4 what is different though um, is the tongues that were spoken of in Acts chapter 2 they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them at utterance in Acts chapter 4 verse 31 it says and they continue to speak the word of God with boldness it doesn't make mention of tongues and I don't think that it's necessary um, to inject tongues at this place and the reason for that is they began to speak the word of God which is precisely what they what they had asked for that they might speak the word of God and um, because they wanted to be able to um, um, 
uh, not act in a, in in the same way. Uh, basically, they'd been told not to utter. Um, not to speak in the name um, by the authorities. Now they prayed, would you grant us boldness? And, and the answer was that they were filled. And so uh, when we read of their speaking, we assume that uh, the, the speaking was the gospel message um, and that it was going out in great boldness by the people at the end of Acts chapter 4 and we know that to be the case because as we go into Acts chapter 5 uh, we have the story of Ananias and Sapphira we've got a continual growing of the church uh, in Jerusalem we have many signs and wonders incredible stuff being done in uh, verse 12 to verse 16 and then the apostles arrested again and freed again um, toward the end of Acts chapter 5 Um couple of things have come in uh, Penny says great show once again thank you Mark for your faithfulness well thank you Penny for listening in um, and for your encouragement I really do love serving you um, uh, in this way there is a very long uh, WhatsApp that's come in from Milani Milani unfortunately I'm not able to read through all of it because we're coming to the end of the show um, I have so enjoyed being together with you this Friday uh, we are now coming to the end of table talk with Mark um, as Ingrid asked uh, Ingrid I will make sure that previous episodes are up on the podcast as soon as I possibly can God willing even later on this afternoon um, I do once again just want to invite you if you're in the Pretoria area and you would like to be involved in about two hours of praise and worship together with other saints we will be having a sing event at central baptist church pretoria uh, that is tomorrow at half past four so from half past four until half past six you're invited to come along i will save a seat for you um okay i can't actually save a seat for you there are lots and lots of seats that are available um but but um i i would suggest getting there a little bit early in order to secure a good one um uh, god willing there'll be a crowd of people gathered together for praise and worship tomorrow um, as we sing songs of adoration to God. If you want more information about that, I'm sure you can just WhatsApp Central Baptist Church Pretoria and the word sing, S-I-N-G. And I guess that the first Google um, uh, that pops up, I'm, I'm actually just trying it and making sure Central Pretoria Baptist Church and the word sing. Um, the very first thing that pops up uh, Central Baptist for churches that love congregational singing is the link. I will put this link into the show notes today so that you can find it yourself. Um, so on um, on uh, the uh, live stream, at the bottom of the live stream, there will be a link to an invite to stream. Well, friends, uh, our prayers each and every Friday go out to elders and deacons who hold the line in local churches all across our country, as well as for South African missionaries who serve on foreign fields on our behalf, taking the gospel message uh, to foreign lands. Our prayers for and much respect each week goes to first responders, to police, to our defense force, and to those who dispense justice into our country, along with firefighters and paramedics and our nation's nurses and medical personnel and educators, teachers, and correctional facility uh, officers. You've been listening to Table Talk with uh, me, your host, Mark. 
We will be going to news shortly. Before we do, we'll be listening to Joy of the Lord by Rend Collective. And so until next week, Friday, walk wisely, live holy, and testify zealously. God bless.